Welcome to episode 20 of the Tottenham Hotspur Family Podcast. Joining me this week, Zach from Weymouth. Good afternoon. And a new voice on the podcast. I, I, I should really introduce people differently and say something else other than a new voice on the podcast. Um, Kevin Morgan from Murphy Tidville. Hello, everybody. The big cuddly monster from Wales. <laughs> That'll be me. <laughs> Um, well, I, I gave a big hug anyway when we met up. Yeah, definitely. I should also add at this point that um, Nikki from Joburg, um, my uh, right-hand woman on, on, on the podcast, who often um, appears on, on the pods, and, and, and in fact is the only other person who's presented this podcast, albeit on one other occasion. Um, she Filthy was gonna... occasion. Sorry? A filthy occasion. I'm a filthy case. She was um, she was going to join us, but unfortunately, she's not feeling very well. So, um, Nikki, I hope you get better soon. Best wishes, Nikki. Right. Um, there's no Spurs game, obviously, at the weekend, um, and I've been uh, frustrated and uh, struggling to to find something to do with by weekend. But it's not helped by the fact that I've got a cold and a temperature, and um, I'm wrapped up at the moment. Um, and perspiring um, but uh, England played on Friday um, and a certain Mr Harry Kane opened his account um, Chaps, did, did you get to see much of the game? Yes, I, I, I'll go I, I watched it, it was, um, it was uh, fairly decent um, yeah, unfortunately that Welbeck played fairly well um, and then Harry Kane came on to a massive reception. I don't know if you check out the uh, the clip, but there there was a massive reception for the England fans, which I was really pleased about. Um, this huge weight of expectation, which lasted about 18 seconds, and he had the number 18 on his back, his normal Spurs number. It lasted 18 seconds, and then he scored. <laughs> Fantastic. Kevin, did you manage to catch any of the game? I did. It was a, a fairly standard England performance, I thought. Uh, first half uh, was a bit of a ball fest, but of course, Harry Kane came on and saved the day. I do believe he scores when he wants. And uh, yeah, I think it was 80 seconds was he scored into yeah. the game on coming on. Yeah, he did have a great reception, as, as Zach just said. And uh, I think that'll be, uh, that'll be it. Now I think Kane will be a feature in the England squad from, from year on in. And just another 46 more goals to go and it'll, it'll be level with Rooney. I think he'll score that in another, what will it be, about 80, it'll be another 10 minutes and he'll break that record at this rate, I think. <laughs> One of the things that I should say, I'm not surprised, but it's disappointing nonetheless. So Cade was, um, I believe Cade was the only Spurs player who featured at the weekend. Um, I know that Danny Rose has pulled out the England squad um, with injury, but from what I've heard... Um, for the Italy game, all of the um, England regulars that play for the so-called big teams, for the cities, and uh, uh, I'm not going to bring, I can't bring myself to, to mention some of, some of the other clubs, but um, those players apparently will be rested, so they get a nice little rest before 
before the Premier League fixtures next weekend. Um, and apparently all the Spurs players are going to um, feature on, or, or most of them are going to feature on Tuesday against Italy. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I'm sort of, I'm in two minds. But I mean, in one sense, it, it, it's a proud moment when when any Spurs player, player plays for England. But at the same time, we've got Burnley next Sunday. And I don't know, it's that whole club v country thing. I think as long as they come back fit, I'll be uh, quite pleased with that. But I think it'll be a good experience, and especially a good experiences for Mason and Kane. It uh, can only aid their development in the future. I mean, we're fitting everybody else, aren't we? So uh, I'm sure the boys... It seems to me, actually, that um, when we played two, two games in a week, uh, unlike previously, we actually seem to be better. And um, since we've gone to play in one game a week, um, we've... Uh, the, the no show at, at uh, Old Trafford was after having had a lot of time to prepare. So maybe these players don't need too much time to think and too much time to prepare, and then they'll have the England game and then be straight into um, straight into Burnley. Mm. We've had um, we've had a few questions um, from from some of our listeners um, around the, <laughs> around, around the some very strange listeners um, around. <laughs> around the um, England match and, and particularly focusing on, on, on Harry Kane. So um, let's just begin. Uh, so Brian Campbell asked, did the Spurs boys improve England? And if so, how? Well, the only one that's played so far, we can't talk about um, Tuesday. Or, um, I haven't got my crystal ball, crystal ball with me, so I'm not going to make any predictions. Um, but the only one who, who did play was Harry Kane. And did he improve us well, when he came on? Um I mean, he scored. Can't do much better than that. He wasn't on for very long, was he, really? Yeah. So, um, as uh, as a certain manager would say, oh, I did not see that it got very much better than it was before, but uh, maybe he scored and maybe this is OK. I don't know. I think Harry's you just... You have to now do Chris Coleman. I can't do Chris Coleman, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, I was just going to say about Harry, he, he just brings uh, an enthusiasm and just a, just sheer joy of play into the game and it just improves every team he plays in, I think. Um, David Pips asks, how much is Kane worth now? I think he's uh, worth so much he'll be doing L'Oreal adverts like David Ginola. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought about this question and I thought in, in homage to the person who's missing from the podcast the uh, the big empty space in the room um, I thought I'd try and equate it to some terms that she could understand so I think his value has now soared to the level of 100 million demijohns <laughs> <laughs> it can only be measured in very large bottles of wine that's how valuable <laughs> it is <laughs> I think it's not so much. It's not. It's not really a case of how much is he worth now. I mean, there's just so much potential there that um, mm. it, it, his his value is only only just gonna. It, it's only ever gonna go up and up and up and up. There's, there's so oh, much... Next season, when he has a little lull mm. and he has a bad performance for England, and then the press just turn on him like they always do, and um, and we have to see what he's made of when the inevitable British press turn on him um having built him up which they'll continue to do for the rest of the season at some point they'll attack him i mean that's that's inevitable unfortunately but i think that 
but Harry's got the mental strength to deal with that. The fact that if you just look at his career, he's got out on loan a few places. Some of those loan moves haven't been a success, um, but he's still made it through. He's just got put his head down, worked hard, and, and he's made and, and, and he's got to where, where, where he is where he is and I think that shows a lot of mental strength a lot of um, a lot of res- resilience um, so I think in the face of adversity when it comes and it will come because there will be times where um, he'll have a barren spell and and people get will get on his back and and, and, and he'll be injured and so forth I, I can see him coming out the other side I hope um, now that he did score against um, Lithuania, um, Michael John Bede asks, is Harry Kane still one of our own? I think so. I think if we were to get a DNA test done on Harry, I think his genetics would show that he is definitely Lily White and he's one of our own. Definitely. I think from his reaction, I can't remember which game it was now, where they got the close-up and he said, never effing give up, never effing give up. You know, I think he's 100% Spurs and... I don't care how many pictures you've got of him in Arsenal negligee or whatever. He's one of our own. Um, <laughs> Kirk Butler says, are we getting carried away with the hype over Harry Kane? Kirk, wash your mouth with soap and water. Um, it's a fair shout though, isn't it? I mean, are we getting a carried away? But has there ever been a player in the history of Premiership who's broken through from the youth ranks and who has had such a prolific season, who scored now 30 goals he scored this year. Um, has there ever been a player that's broken through from, you know, last year we saw a little bit of him under Sherwood um, and he looked promising. Um, I think I was on a few people that said, you know, I think he should have more of a go because he looked all right and he was scoring goals. But then again, I also think that Sherwood did right. <laughs> I was, um, you know, thinking this is going to be good, but his, his, his rise, his rise and rise this season, I mean, even the fact the commentator, I think, said that, you know, the form he's in, wouldn't you know that he'd score? He would score because he's just exuding confidence. He's, um, you know, it, this season he's fantastic. Whether whether he can continue, I don't know. He must level out at some point and possibly drop as well. You know, um, he can't keep, I don't know, going beyond expectations really we've been expecting that i mean deep down i'm sure some of us must have been expecting that all season just as just as tottenham fans but that's not happened and he thought he's justified the hype surely i think so 30 goals in his debut season i don't i can't think of any other english striker who's done that and and you can't think of anyone else who's come (laughs) through the ranks anybody else has done something like that has been brought in haven't they michael owen I don't think Michael Owen scored as many goals in his first season. I know he was a little bit younger. Robbie Fowler, the same. They were both younger than Kane. He but... did. I don't, you're right, he didn't get 30-odd. I think he got 19 or 20, something like that. I don't know the exact stats. And he did end up going to the World Cup and making making an impact. I remember we still got eight games to go. I mean, has he not scored the same amount of goals as Klinsman in his magnificent yeah. season? And we've not found it. You know, remember, he didn't really play. He didn't really start until November. And he's um, and he's still got eight games to go, which makes it even more incredible. Absolutely, he, he's he's done it in 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 less games than than when it took Klinsman. I think Klinsman had a total of fifty games that season, League and Cup. Um, Harry Kane's played played forty three, and as you say, his season really only started November. And also, if you look at the first, I don't know, half a dozen or so games that he played, he came off the bench. Um, 
maybe maybe more than half a dozen, but certainly the first three, four games seem to remember. And Clinton pretty much started all of those games. Um, so it's it's quite some feat. But so no, I, I don't I don't think we are getting carried away. He's he's there is hype, but he's sort of justified that. And uh, as you said earlier, Zach, I think next season is going to be. It's going to be the, the sort of second season syndrome, and and can he can he do it? You're right. The difficult second album. <laughs> um, a few Definitely, more... maybe. <laughs> a few more questions on. I know, I know, I know. You like that. I know you like that reference. <laughs> I, I certainly do. Um, maybe if we could get a few more Oasis references, Oasis references in 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 the hour, I'd be very happy. Um, so. Um, a few more Harry Kane um, questions. Um, a couple of loaded questions. Um, David Thornell asks, it's a serious question and slightly perverse. The what seems expensive signing of Soldado and following the fa- his failure to find the back, back, of, back of the net, it feels that the expense is softened by Harry Kane's success. Harry may, may not have got the chance to start so many games if Robbie had hit the target. Um, Harry may well have been sold on, he asks, question mark, or rhetorically, destiny, maybe. Um, and on a similar sort of question um, related to Soldado and Kane, Paul Esau asks, do you think that the current success of Harry at club level is hindering Soldado's confidence becoming a goal machine? Um, does it add pressure? Um, and now, at international level, the national jizz fest by the media and pundits, is it going to um, have an impact on um, on Bobby doing his thing, and also that by the same t- um, note, is it going to have a, ha- is it going to hinder Kane's progress mentally? I.e., too much too soon. Well, I, I looked saw these two questions, and I wasn't sure I completely understood both of them. But um, I mean, the obviously thing is, I mean, Harry is now a rock and roll star, and the question is, the next year will he slide away? But um, in terms of like the destiny thing, I think if my dad hadn't left Cape Town, I wouldn't be here now. <laughs> he wouldn't have met my mum. Uh, is that enough Oasis references That's for you? More than enough. <laughs> um, so, what's your view on it, Kevin? On the question. Um, I think it's just an impossible question to answer, really. I suppose if Soldado was scoring goals, would Kane have had a chance? I don't know. Uh, but life is a game of chances. Harry's taken his. Uh, is it destiny or serendipity? I don't know. Uh, but uh, one door closes, another opens. Harry took his chance. Uh, Soldado, Soldado's con- confidence is completely shot anyway. Uh, so... Harriet in the headlines on the back of the net. I don't know if it's going to make any difference to Soldado coming back now. I think I think his time has probably come now that it's time to go back home to Spain. I think that's what will happen in the summer. That's a beautiful answer, Kevin, by the way. Thank you very much. I do like that. It's <laughs> a very good answer. It makes my answer a bit shit, which is... Um, <laughs> I, um, I, was, I was just going to say that... Um, we'll re-record and edit it and make ourselves on better later. <laughs> we have to match Kev now. Um, the, the, the one person that isn't mentioned in that sentence is, is Addy as well. So it's not. I think it's not just Soldado. If, if, if Soldado hadn't been as bad as he has been, and Addy for that matter hasn't hadn't been as bad as he's been, then would Kane have got the chance? I don't know. I think it would have been more difficult for him. 
Um, I think the cream always rises to the top. Um, I suppose if, let's just say, if both of those two players were, were firing on all cylinders, then they would have been, I suppose, the first and second choice strikers. Kane would have got more of a run-in in the Europa, which he, we, which he did initially start off in. And he may not have got the run-in that he ended up getting in the Premier League, but he probably would have got a, a run in the Europa and we would have had three good strikers that we could have turned to in, in an ideal world. So I think it's a bit of both. I think I think the cream rises to the top. You've got to go back to when AVB was manager. Um, at the start of last season, um, and we loaned out a few players, and Harry Kane had been loaned out previous seasons, but we didn't loan him out at the start of that season. And I remember thinking at the time and reading about it and, and listening to, to other podcasts and people were saying, oh, you know, that's a strange one and surely we should have we should have loaned Harry Kane out again. And AVB didn't. And I think he didn't because he saw something in Harry. Um, and dare I say it, I think um, the caretaker manager that we had last season, he saw something in, in, in Harry. Um, so I think... I think for... <laughs> Football people, can, you know, I'd like to think, um, can see that. I think managers can, can pe- people in the game can see that, that he's got talent. Um, so I think he always would have risen to the top. Certainly the fact that Soldado and um, Adebayo haven't had, uh, haven't been playing that particularly well when they have got a chance has, has um, opened a door for him. And he's taken that opportunity. So fair play to the lad. Um, final couple of questions on... Sorry, can I? I was Go just on. going to say to you on that. Um, yeah. I think um, it's a good question because I was thinking it was about attitude, really. Um, Pochettino sort of came in, and various players have, have shown a poor attitude, and and they've been, regardless of you know standing in the club, they've been cast out into the wilderness. Um, Lennon, Kabul, Adebayor, and if you think about Harry Kane's attitude to the game, how he plays the game, how he's um, how he trains apparently. Um, and then you look at the other people like Ryan, Ryan Mason with a similar attitude. I mean, it could be argued that in our midfield, um, you know, Ryan Mason and and and, um, and Bentaleb shouldn't be starting, shouldn't have forced their way above two seasoned professionals like a Brazilian international and a Belgium international. Um, but they have done because on, on merit, because they've shown a better attitude, they've done more of what the manager wanted. So as Kane's attitude to training is generally thought to be so good and his attitude towards the game is so good would he have forced himself in in any way um because sort of little by little um he's been proved he's had sort of more and more of the uh, of the game and he's just sort of said to the manager stand by me we'll get lots of goals and um we're all gonna live forever <laughs> <laughs> um no i, I, I I think you're right, and that's a good good point, Zach. You know, he's got the right attitude, and I think, as I said, I think the cream always rises to the top. Um, I can't help thinking, though, the fact that that the aforementioned players um, haven't played particularly well has um, has given him that uh, boost, should we say, or that step up the ladder. Maybe it, it, it's um, sp- um, speeded up his progress somewhat, which which has been which has been good. If I missed that one, the cream rising to the top was that a B side? 
You mentioned it a couple of times, but it's not in my collection. Um, no, not in mine either. Um, okay, final couple of questions um, on the uh, international. So, um, Rodney Vincent John Kralik, I hope I pronounced that correctly, um, asked, did any, did any of you get sexually aroused when you saw Harry with his shirt off? Now, really, we need Nikki for, to answer this question. Um, but in I'm her, quite happy to answer it. In, her, in her absence, Kevin, did you have a champagne supernova moment? when? <laughs> I did indeed. I'm not going to lie, I did get a bit of a stiffy when I saw Harry with his shirt off. Uh, the, the only thing that turned me on more was being at White Hart Lane to witness his first hat-trick for Tottenham. That was a beautiful moment, I thought. Oh, okay. Stop crying your heart out. It wasn't like... <laughs> don't go <laughs> away, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It doesn't excite me. Um, I don't know. I've never... I know. I've, I was always... Well, I've got a question later on, actually. But there are certain people who's in pres- whose presence I don't know how I'd be. I think I would turn completely silly and turn into a, a teenage girl or whatever. But... I think Harry's just a normal bloke sort of thing. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's all right. You can take your shirt off and that's fine. But it does excite me, no. I'll I'll concur with that. didn't excite me. Okay, final question. Aaron Wolf asks, given the money poured into the game on the club level, is the international game still the top level competition that it once was? I don't think the international game has been the top level for some time. I think the Champions League overtook that. And uh, I think that's where the players mostly want to be. I think uh, once every four years, the players get excited about playing in a World Cup. Uh, but the rest of the time, they just seem to be uh, faking injuries to get out of meaningless friendlies and endless qualifying games. So I think, yeah, I think I think players know which side their bread is buttered on and uh, they know where their com- money is coming from. So I think, yeah, the Champions League is the uh, the the holy grail of football these days i think agreed yeah no i think it's a drastic shame i think um you know admittedly you have limitations at international level because you can't just go and buy you know do a man city and buy the you know 20 most expensive players and or chelsea um you actually have to work with what you've got and develop the youth and work with what you've got whatever but I still think the, the premier competition in the world has got to be the World Cup. It's only every four years. I'm not so fussed about the European and the whatever it is. One, what's the what weird one they play in Japan and funny places where? Um, oh no, sorry, that's a champ. That's the Champions League winners and somebody else winners. But I mean, surely, still to play for your country must be a massive thing. Um, and the World Cup is being the top thing, but certainly internationals and these qualifiers where we play all these games against... I mean, our group is really poor, isn't it? They are really, really poor teams, Um, and we do really well in the qualifiers um, against nobodies, part-time postmen from wherever, and then we come against the decent sides and that's us out of the competition. But I think it's sad. I think it's sad that everything's about the Champions League, the money, the sponsors, the Sky, etc. I think you still ought to represent your country as a top honour, really. Do you think, no one's really said this, but do you think the breakup of the Soviet Union um, and also Yugoslavia, as it then was, has... has has also had an impact, and so far as there are lots, lot more, lot more teams in Europe now, which means that, and there are also a lot more, 
Um, the World Cup is bigger. There are 32 teams. The Euros are now 16. It's going up to 24. So there's a lot more. The, the qualifying groups are a lot bigger. Whereas if you go back to, say, the early 90s, for example, um, qualifying groups quite often had, say, four, maximum five teams in them. And it was a lot tougher. You know, you might have one one team that that was the um, the whipping boys, if you were, and then you had say England, and then you had I don't know the Repu- Republic of Ireland or, 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 or Spain or somebody. Um, and now it just seems, or Poland. Now it just seems that the groups are you've got about six teams in in, in some groups, and you've got um, lots of the so-called, I don't want to be patronising, but the so-called smaller nations, who are, who are actually quite good, but... Some of them are, but you've got things, people like, you know, bloody um, San Marino and Faroe Islands and some people that are really, I don't know, they're, 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 they wonder where they should be. Someone mentioned on a on a podcast, on a um, general football one, one of the proper professional ones, they talked about having a pre-qualifying tournament for those minor nations so they have a tournament and then the best ones get into the real groups mm. they, they could make international football a two-tier thing couldn't they and uh, over time the lesser nations could play against just the lesser nations and then as they get better they could be promoted up to the to the top tier that well, might like that might take away a lot of the yeah kind of like that but they could they could dress it up a little bit more can they and they could because it it does uh it does faroe islands or san marino no good being beaten 10 nil every every time they step up under the pitch but if they're playing against teams that are of a similar standard then hopefully they could improve and then over time they could join the the top tier of international football yeah well a bit like the davis cup in tennis when you've got like different tiers could be something like that mm. Okay. Um, so the second half of the podcast, we'll um, we'll take some more um, questions from um, listeners, and um, I'll also be asking Zach and Kevin for their predictions on the Burnley game. Um, but before we get into that, we've got a new feature, um, which I hope will become a regular feature, possibly. Um, Elliot Line, um, one of the members from the Facebook group, has kindly. Um, together some uh how can i best describe it describe this um some statistical analysis um for our fourth forthcoming game against um, burnley so you sit back and listen to this and we'll be back after this short break this is elliot line looking ahead to the game against burnley on april the 5th in our history we've played burnley 76 times winning 28 and losing 30 scoring 142 to their 130 But if I only look at the games at Burnley, we've played 38 times, we've won only 7 to their 20, scoring only 52 to their 82. Our last visit to Turf Moor was in January in the FA Cup, where we drew 1-1, before winning 4-2 in the replay. Coincidentally, 4-2 was also the score that Burnley beat us by in our only Premier League match at Turf Moor, which was back in 2010. In fact, we haven't won at Turf Moor since the League Cup victory in 2004, but then again, we don't go there very often. Burnley's recent home form is not too bad, winning two of their last five home league games, most notably beating Man City. We've lost three of our last five away league games to Palace, Liverpool and Man U. In my analysis, the likelihood of Burnley scoring is 67%. 
and the versus scoring is 78%, with a probability of 45% that we score two or more goals. The most likely score line is 1-1 at 13% likely, followed by 1-0 to us at 11% likely, and 2-1 to us at 9% likely. My overall result probabilities are 27% for a Burnley win, 27% for a draw, and 46% for a Spurs win. Come on you Spurs! Okay, that was Elliot Lyon provi- providing some um, some statistical analysis to our um, forthcoming game game against Burnley. And, and turning to that game, um, quick prediction, guys. Zach, starting with you. Okay, I just say thanks, Elliot. That was um, that was a tremendous amount of good work put in there. Um, I always love his spreadsheets, and um, I think that's fantastic. Um, so um, yeah, thanks, Elliot. Um, the game, I think it's going to be tough. It's a way. I think I've been impressed with Burnley. They've got two good strikers up front. They've got their partnership back. I think I, I think I, last time I was, I was on, I was talking about uh, Burnley, about the Ings and Vokes partnership, which is not being able to operate for most of the season. And that's back. And I think a while back, I raised a question about um, the um, Scottish right-sided attacking player, whose name escapes me, whether he'd be a pot signing um, he runs further than anyone else in the league, apart, you know, basically even further than Ericsson and and our players. Um, works really hard, causes loads of trouble. Um, they've got a, some, a lovely fullback as well. Um, I think it's going to be a tougher game than Leicester. And if we defend like we did against Leicester as a team, if we give the ball away, I think we could be in trouble up there against their home crowd. But I'm thinking that we won't. We can't be that bad defensively again um, and I think we're going to win 2-1 Kevin I'd just like to echo what uh, Zach said first of all Elliot absolutely superb stats and good work on the uh, on this new segment and uh, onto the Burnley game yeah I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one Burnley are going to be battling for their lives they need the points uh, to try to stay up I think we'll just edge it though 2-1 and I think uh, Kane and Eriksson will finally come back to form and I think he'll score so I think we'll win 2-1 um. In, a, in an Elliot moment, actually, I think I've seen a stat somewhere that Ashley Ward has committed more fouls than any other player apart from Fellaini. Hmm. And that's going some. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, I'm going to stick, stick by my prediction on the pod last week, which was 4-2 uh, to one of the teams. I haven't got a clue, but I, I just see that. It's a statistical, um, what do you call it, repetition of, um, of history, isn't it? Yeah. It's been a lot of four twos. You know we can't keep a clean sheet. We've got less chance of keeping a clean sheet than the teenage boy. <laughs> um, we've lost. Oh god, we've lost um, Kevin again. Ah. Right, we seem to be having a few technical problems, or rather, I should say, Kevin seems to be having a few technical problems. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Maybe, maybe. Maybe his um, internet quite hasn't caught on in, in Merthyr Tidville and, and, and it's not what it should be. I think he got confused by the clocks going forward and obviously, you know, they're still trying to catch up with the uh, 20th century back there, so <laughs> they're going to get broadband anytime soon. Now, now. 
right. sorry Welsh people <laughs> let's um let's quickly get through the next few questions so um Joe Bryan asks um who will go in the summer um both those you hope do and any you'd be gutted to lose and a similar sort of question Oliver Lee asks realistically speaking what players would you like to see um leave Spurs next season um the, the biggest one for me, the biggest one who I hope goes in the summer, um, will be Baldini. And I'd like to see Hod as director of football. Um, but player-wise, I think I think it's fairly obvious that Kabul, Addy and Lennon have gone, if someone pays the money for Lennon. Um, we touted Addy about all over the place. I'm not sure about Kapu. Um, I thought when he first came in, he looked fantastic. Um, and since then, under Pochettino, he's not really worked that well. Um, whether Rags um, has got a place in the future, um, he's very dodgy in the air as a centre back. Um, whether he's, and I don't think he's good enough to um, give any serious competition on the right in the right back's berth. Um, so he may go, and um, I'm not sure if Stamgoulis is going to be. Um, I no, I think he'll be given more time to adjust, yeah. but. He's not there yet. No, I'd ag- I'd agree with that with, with all of that, and 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 I like the um, the hoddle for director of football. That would be mm. nice. Um, similar sort of question, um, but well, looking like at a particular area of the team, Robert Coyle, um, says so. Defensively, who should come? Who should come? Um, come and go? Because at the moment, um, you know. We've been shipping shipping a lot of goals recently. So, obviously, you've you've mentioned Kirikers and and Kibble, and and they're pretty lame. Um, whilst I'm I'm happy with Davis and Rose and the Tongan and Fazio and um, City, Larice <laughs> and Dyer. Um, I think there are two players I'd I'd, I'd like just. To, to, to bring in in the summer so one's a commanding centre-back I think we need particularly if we lose Kabul and Chiriches, um we need to bring somebody well from a personal point of view we need another body but I also think we need somebody a, a commanding figure, figure at the back a, a Ledley King type play, player a, a Vincent Company type a leader because um, I don't think not sure about Jan I think he's a very good player Um but I think he benefits from playing with, um, a, a, like I said, a, a sort of a, a, a strong personality, a, a company or a Ledley King, somebody steady, a, you know, a real rock at the back. So I'd, I'd like that. And the other thing that really concerns me is right back. Um, I like Carl Walker. Can I? Can I? Can on. I? Sorry. Can we do just the other one before I get all upset in the second one? But I was thinking. I was. I agree with you about the centre half. Mm. Um, but I would like to raise something. Um. Um, happy with Dyer, and I know he's developing. I know it's his first season, but he's had some awful performances. He's been partly responsible <coughs> for a lot of the goals we shipped him recently. Um, the nutmeg from Rooney um, against Leicester, uh, at least two of the goals he had a hand in, um, and um, and again he's he's come in and done fantastically um, for his first season, but. Uh, he's far from the finished article, and and Jan, you're right. He's not really a leader. He he doesn't lead the team as um, as as I'd like, really. 
Um, and so um, I think centre-back-wise, I'd love to see the, the guy mentioned, you were talking about company, but his um, Belgian teammate, Alda Werold, mm, yeah. um, has played well for Southampton. I liked him before he um, went to Madrid. Um, I think Atletico was at. Um, and he's out on loan at Southampton. Uh, and I think we should definitely buy him. Um I, th- I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, but I think he can also cover it right back, which um, has been mentioned as a concern. Yeah, now the position of right back. So we've got Carl Walker at the moment, who, bless him, I, don't get me wrong, I like Carl Walker. I think he had a really good first season when he broke into the team um, 2011-12 um, under Harry. And that was also on the back of some good, impressive loan performances um, at Villa and QPR the previous season. Um, I thought so. I thought he had a really good breakthrough season. However, um, I think he's just made. He hasn't really progressed as a footballer since then. Um, he's made too many mistakes. He's been caught out defensively in, well, on quite a few occasions, but certainly the last couple of games where where we've shipped in six goals in, in two matches, which is just ridiculous um, for any team, whether they're. Top, um, whether they've got aspirations to, to finish in the top four or, or, or even for a top six team, um, and he he makes far too many. He gets caught out um, positionally. He's not very good. Um, if I contrast that to say Danny Rose, now that's that same accusation has been levelled at Rose. Yet the difference with Rose is he's actually improved as a player, um, and he didn't start off as a defender, um, but he's or as a left back and. You can see that he's he's improved. His game has come on since last season and and, and before that. Um, And he's still got a lot to improve on. Whereas Walker hasn't really improved since that breakthrough season. Um, And there's no competition. I mean, I know there's Yedlin, but um, apart from the fact that Yedlin's very quick, can actually anybody hand on heart tell me that he's a particularly good footballer? And he's never played at the highest level. Um, I'm sorry, playing in, in in, in the US isn't the highest level. Um, uh, oh, playing YouTube and FIFA is not the highest level then, no? <laughs> that doesn't persuade no, you. That, that doesn't persuade me either. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm not really convinced by Kyle Walker. I think he needs a good kick up the backside, frankly. Uh, are you, you going to tell me otherwise? I, I, I several points of this. I, I was I was pleased to sit here um, after Savagey got on match a day, which I kind of disagreed with playing all the blame for the goals on his door when I thought there were several other players culpable in the play early on that were making mistakes that led to the goal and were not recovering. And the first point I was going to say was um, that um, he he's had a lot of injuries um, and I'm not sure he's ever got back to full fitness. I mean, he was the fastest thing I think I've ever seen um, at fullback, certainly. Um, he was ridiculously fast and he used to rely overly rely on his pace and he's still fast but I'm not sure he's fully fit um, and he's sort of keeps coming back and having minor injuries so I, uh, he's not had the pre-season I think um, Felonius mentioned this on Fighting Talk um, T mentioned Fighting Talk he said that he's not really had a pre-season that Rose has had under Pochettino of the conditioning because he was injured at the start of the season um, and um, so I kind of would le- I would first of all as part of my apologist strategy, talk about whether he's fully fit or not. Um, 
I feel that both fullbacks are too high up the pitch a lot of the time. When we attack, we attack with both fullbacks out the pitch. And surely, particularly like Leicester had three attackers, and we had a lot of the time both defenders up the pitch. So we had three attackers against two defenders. And a lot of the time, the, it was counter-attacks when someone, we'd overcomplicated the play, um, someone had lost the ball, and then Walker and Rose were basically level with the opposition penalty area. Um and um, and having to run back against the sort of charge from, from the um, from the defenders. So there is that. And the last point I was going to say was um, Rose gets caught out a lot positionally. He still gets caught out a lot positionally. That Leicester game, he got caught out uh, on the uh, positionally, and that led to at least one of the goals um, came down that side. Um, but if you think about it, when Rose gets caught out. Who's the um, left? Who's the left-sided defender covering? And it's Super Yan, you know. And he made a fantastic tackle against Leicester. Um, uh, he's reads the game very well. And when Walker gets caught out, who's co- who, who's covering from on that side? Dyer, who's often, you know, they've not struck that relationship. Or we've got Fazio. They're not of the same class as as him. And I think also in terms of who's in front of you. Um, you know, Lennon worked so well. Uh, Walker worked really well when Lennon was in front, covering for him. Lennon would get back when Walker was forward, um, and we don't really have that anymore. So um, either I think Bentaleb and Mason need to get better at covering at fullback or filling in, um, or the wide midfield players um, need to if if the Fullback has overlapping attacking fullback has gone beyond. Then, if they're the nearest person, they need to be getting back. Um, and I should definitely say, don't commit both fullbacks all the time. Um, particularly, you know, when you're you've got a. If you're in the lead, you don't need to be pushing both fullbacks off. There's times when we can defend, and that's something that Davis does better on the other side. But I, I, I you know, I do agree that I don't. I don't agree with the complete assassination of Kyle Walker. I think he's very good, and I think he will be good again, and he's got all the talent. He needs coaching. Um, I don't think there's a lot of people out there better, but I would like to see another right back um, to give him the competition that Rose has had and to give him that spur. So I will agree with you that he does need a bit of a kick up the backside. I think that that's a fair point, that both fullbacks shouldn't always be pushing on and that that he's had a few injuries of late. But uh, something you said earlier when you said um, he used to be able to re- recover very quickly. But he shouldn't have to do that in the first place. If his positional sense was right, he wouldn't get caught out so many times. Mm. And, and and for me, he just makes far too many mistakes. And I, and I go back go back to his first season, and he played really well that first season. And, and don't get me wrong, there were times when he would get caught out and so forth. But at the time, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I hoped that one day he would learn from those mistakes. Um, that was 2011-12. That's three, three years on, and um, or three and a bit years on, and I don't think that he's progressed as a, as a footballer. He's still making the same stupid mistakes. I can't say... I mean, hand on heart, come on to that. Can you actually say that Kyle Walker has improved since that debut season? Um, I don't know. I'd say more's, more's expected of him. I mean, he was very good that season. He broke into the England side. He's pretty much stayed in England side. So I think he's at a level. But as I said, if we, you're comparing that season, why was he so good that season? He had someone defensively minded 
although he's a very good attacker, um, a very good winger, he had Lennon in front of him. And Lennon and Walker was a great combination on that side. Um, and that was key to our kind of attacking win play that year. Um, and then I noticed under AVB, um, there was this thing where Walker would go bombing up to the halfway line and then suddenly put the brakes on and almost looked like he'd been instructed not to do his natural game and not to go beyond. Um, and he looked very restricted under AVB. Um, and I suppose the other thing is, if you keep swapping managers and coaches every five minutes, are you going to consistently? He's now played under, what, four managers? Mm. Uh, what is he, 23? Yeah. Yeah, four managers he's had. Um, you know, um, so um, I don't know. Maybe he... Maybe he will develop. Maybe he will continue to develop. Um, I certainly think that if he's fully fit, that he will be, um, and he's had a full preseason. I, I would, I would, I would wager you a pint next. How about a pint when we meet next year? That Kyle Walker will be better next season. Well, pint, a pint in the Irish Centre. Sounds good. Do you think that? Um... Do you think that, uh, given what you've just said, that we should be in the market for another right back? Because I've got to say, um, I mean, you mentioned the Fighting Cock podcast earlier. Um, a few months ago, um, the, the main presenter on, on the Fighting Clog, Cock, even, um, Clog, um, Flav Bateman, um, suggested that we should buy a right back, and he was ridiculed a bit. Um, for that, and then I think it became a bit of a running joke. But I think he's right. You know what? Because I, I, I think, as I, as I said, I, I think Carl Walker's got his shortcomings, and we'll, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Yedlin is unproven. Um, if we are to go, you know, progress as a club to that next level, um, can we honestly say that we've got enough at right back, really? Or should we be in the market for some? I think we should be. I think you said, as you said, like. Um... I want to take you back to start of the season when Walker wasn't there. We were crying out for Walker to return. We had various people in there. Dyer started off well and then got destroyed a couple of times. Um, like you said, various other people filled in there, um, Norton and other people, and didn't do so well. Did okay, Norton in Norton's case, but didn't do so well. So I think there definitely is a need for cover there. Um, you've got a very young squad. Maybe we look at someone experienced. Maybe we look at someone you know, with real, maybe towards the end of their career, with real experience who will then play in there for a while and pass on that experience to Walker, Yedlin and the other younger people that we've got. Um, a bit of savvy, a bit of know-how. Um, and one other thing I want to mention, so I think I agree with you about, yeah, we need a, I think we need a, another right back, definitely some competition. But one thing I thought tactically that always struck me is both full-backs get past the ball as, a, as a, an out-ball from midfield quite a lot. Quite often, um, particularly in the middle, Bentelev Mason got a bit of pressure and instead of pushing the ball sideways or playing an attacking ball, they'll play this ball back to the defence, uh, to the right-backs or play back to centre-backs who play it to right-backs who then get put under pressure really up into us because they've obviously spotted this. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Burnley did the same thing. And if you keep... We're then sort of saying the midfield players passing responsibility for the ball really to the fullbacks and quite often both of them are getting the ball um, with someone running at them 
And then what are that? What, you know, what can they do with that? No one's coming short for the ball. No one's coming inside for the ball. They, all they can do is try and pump it down the line. And we know the White Hart Lane crowd will moan at them if it drifts out of play. Um, they can try and what Kent Walker does a couple of times is try and beat the player. Uh, and uh, and Rose did that. Um, and sometimes he um, sometimes he got the free kick because Nugent seemed to foul him continuously. And sometimes you know he he didn't. Um, so I think we put a lot of pressure on our fullbacks, both going forward. We rely on them as a main, if Ericsson's not doing the attacking, then we rely, seem to rely on our fullbacks to provide that attacking impetus, um, as well as, as an out ball. And I think that's a bit cowardly from a centre midfield player to be playing the ball back all the time. And that's maybe something that, um, someone like Dembele does. He rides a tackle, he um, you know, can hold off a couple of challenges, and then if we got him facing the right way, he can play some good balls out wide, slightly forward onto the wings, etc., which is more progressive. So, yeah, I think partly the way those two, the way we sometimes pass the ball back to them and put them under pressure, doesn't help them, and that will be the same with any right back, really. Mm. I don't know. Still not convinced about Carl Walker. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Point on it. <laughs> okay. Um, final few questions. Blah blah blah. Uh, JV One Kenobi asks, "What do you believe um, does it take to make a captain? And do we have anyone at the club that matches your criteria?" Um, well, from my point of view, um, I think there's probably I like Larice as a captain, um, and I think. You made a great comment. I hope he's our captain for the next 10 years. Mm. <laughs> um, um, but really, um, the, the, I think the, the, fear, the, the, the game, the team should be full of captains. Um, and you do need a captain further up. I don't think Jan is a natural captain. Um, I don't think he's even a natural leader of the back line. Um, great player that he is. Um, I think the player in midfield that seems to be most captain-like for me is Mason. He seems to, if you look at that Villa game, that was a real turning point in our season. And he was the one that was in their faces, refusing to accept, you know, that they were on top, refusing to you know, eventually get Benteke sent off. Um, but he was the one that G'd it all up. He was the one that shook them all up um, and everybody fed off his energy. And the other one, the obvious person that everyone kind of sparks off, that inspires and motivates um, with his never give up attitude is obviously the boy wonder Harry. Well, he, he's the sort of captain that leads by example. I mm. guess Harry Kane. Um, to me, what makes a great captain? Graham Roberts. And do we have anyone that matches uh, that particular criteria? Um, I don't think so at the moment. Although, well, you know, the, the, the one of the greatest captains. Of them. Sorry, yeah. I was, I was just going to say possibly Bentlab, possibly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, neither the greatest captain of that era, the one they all still call Skipper, is obviously Steve Perryman. Yeah. Um, you there? I'm still here, yeah. Oh, right. Sorry, I had a look there. Maybe that, that was Kev back. Um, yeah, Steve Perryman, who they still, uh, you know, apparently, you know, Mickey Hazard, everybody, they all still refer to him as Skipper. Um, uh, and he was a wonderful captain. I, it depends what you want from a captain. I think um, he's someone that is in tune with the manager and when what you really the captain for is when things are going wrong, when things aren't quite working. Like for example that Man United game where we'd obviously got it tactically wrong, that on the pitch he can reorganise, motivate, um, you know, 
pump fists and whatever um, and make sure that we're kind of getting back on track. And the only person I see, I, I prefer someone that's either, um, I prefer ideally someone in the centre of midfield. Mm. Um, and whether Mason is going to be good enough long-term to hold a place there or whether we will um, eventually get a... Um, like a chat from Southampton or something, um, a, a, a better all-round footballer, or whether Mason will continue to improve and and um, just through sheer effort, guts and determination, keep that place down. Um, but he seems to me for captain material, but you then do run the risk of, I don't think he's a definite starter for the next few years. You know, is he there long-term? There are very few of those sort of traditional captain-type figures about. Um, mm. What we're almost saying is we'd quite like a sanitised version of John Terry. Can you, sorry, to sanitise, if you take a spar of soap and um, stick it firmly in your mouth, then um, I may talk to you again. <laughs> no need for that sort of bad language on this, you know, on this family podcast. <laughs> um, I do believe Kevin's rejoined us. I am back, and I, I agree with Zach. Yeah, there's no need to be bringing up John Terry unless we're going to be using the word. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think it's I think worse than any word we could use, actually. Yeah, I'm not going to use that. To use a word I, I, like those, those yeah. that person when there's children listening. I promised myself I wouldn't use that word, so we're just going to. When I think we're talking about uh, captaincy and uh, what makes a good captain. Yeah. yeah. And I think, in short, for me, leadership, motivation, and uh, work ethic is the main ca- characteristics of a good captain. Uh, whether we've got somebody like that, I don't know. Maybe I just caught the end of that, Zach, just saying Mason in the future, possibly. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good shout. Uh, I think from what we've got right now, I think Hugo is probably our best bet for captain. And uh, I think Jan as vice captain would be a good shout, I think. But yeah, I suppose John Terry for, uh, for Chelsea, he's epitomises what they're all about. And he's a good captain for them because they're scum. Let's go with that. <laughs> but there's not many of those type of captains about these days, which I think I mean, was the point that uh, Javid was just making. Yeah, those the, I mean, Javid said earlier about the, the, uh, the company type of captain um and um i was wondering you know i think certainly kane is a captain in terms of the the forward line is leading the forward line you know maybe i think mason is the the driving force behind the midfield um and at the moment we haven't got that at the back maybe Lloris um commanding the back five but um i was wondering about that that name mooted alderwild whether he is actually a captain, has been a captain, whether whether he has those sort of captaincy qualities. Is that a word? It is now. Maybe we'll find out next season, should he sign for Spurs. Um, yeah, good question anyway, yeah. Jokes. So, final few questions. I think we've lost Kevin again. Oh, I don't know what what is it. With... I think he's walked out in disgust of your use of that word, and then the one of the questions mentions another equally awful word. Um, so um, if it's the right next one, the running order. Um, it's probably not the next one in the running order. Um, a gentleman called Zach. Oh yeah. Asks which Spurs fan would you be most appalled to find sitting next to you? I'm asking my own. I'm answering my own question. I'm um, the only one answering. I can ask you first. What's, who's Spurs fan? Uh, 
I'm trying to think. Because so you're not very fussy about who you have a photograph taken <clears throat> with, are you? Quite. So uh, we're talking. We're talking. <coughs> essentially, we're talking famous people. The Spurs fans. Well, yeah, you know, you're sat in there, mind your own business, and you know, with the exception of people from the dark side, who would you? Someone suddenly come and sat next to you. You know, you bought a ticket, whatever. You know, not your normal place, and you suddenly found out someone said, um, "Excuse me," and they sat down. Which people would you be most appalled to find sitting there? Who's, who's a known Spurs fan, and and which people would you think be really, really pleasantly surprised? Possibly Richard Littlejohn, but I don't really care that much. I'd be more annoyed if I was sitting next to a Spurs fan that was just famous or otherwise that was just constantly whinging. Um, mm. That so I wouldn't be too fussed. Um, who's your who's your? Uh, well, I, I had it in mind. I did say if, if IDS. Who I find is appalling um, human being. I think I, I I might get so angry and and provoke such violence in me that I'd end up with a stadium ban from my beloved Tottenham if he that, turned up in the seat next to me. That's a, um, I should just clarify to to, to our listeners um, all over the world that IDS is Ian Duncan Smith and he's the um, Minister the, for Work and pensions, pensions. Yeah, yeah. who um, famously claimed forty pound for a breakfast from us and expenses. Um, whilst chastising people for um, not being able to live on fifty pound a week. Yeah, I don't. As I, said, I, I don't think I'd mind too much as long who I was sat next to, as long as they just didn't whinge. I just one thing I can't really stand watching football games is when there's somebody sat behind you and they're just constantly whinging and saying, "Oh, Harry Kane, you're fucking shit." Well, I actually, wouldn't say Harry Kane, but you know whoever it is, Ryan mm. Mason, you're fucking shit. Shoot. What I used to find is I used to get when in the days when you stood, uh, I stood on a shelf. Uh, used to get someone every now and then who would then just pick on a player for something obscure, like Paul Allen, Paul Allen, tuck your shirt in, tuck your shirt in, Allen. You're a disgrace, and they would go on about it for the whole game. Or you know, so and so, pull your socks up. You've got your sock. He's got your socks down. You know, and and they would pick on some or pick on a player and just keep on at that player. Um, and the nice thing about this all standing, the all standing days was you could just take yourself away from this irritating person. Mm. If you're sat next to that person, and I think you said you were you were in front of those, you know, horrible racists, um, one game, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it was Sheffield United, possibly. Yeah, Which, and uh... and because you, you're sat there, you've got no choice. You can't move anywhere. You'd have to either do something about it and risk an altercation, a serious altercation, or or you have to. Um, you know, um, suffer it. And I'm generally the sort of person that with something like that, I won't keep quiet. I will loudly embarrass them or whatever mm. <laughs> and probably get my head kicked in. But I don't know. I think you should stand up for what's right. But Yeah, I guess that's, that's one of the problems with uh, all-seater stadiums. You're sort of constrained. You're stuck in your seat and... I wonder if benches choice. would work. Do you think benches would work if you had a terrace of benches, you know, where just one long bench, a bit like your, um, what's that noodle bar called, you know? Oh, Wagamamas. Yeah, Wagamamas. So you've got those long, tight benches and you can just shuffle in and whatever. Um, and, um, you know, and then you could presumably, you know, you're on that bench and no, what, you've got what? a capacity of 20 people on that bench. And, you know... You can sit on another bench or whatever if you're. What you need is a, a retard section. Sorry, a, a, a section of the stadium where you can stick 
people who are mentally challenged or, or just stupid um, mm. and 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 feel the need to to be to just make stupid comments um just well, yeah and a tourist section and a scene section that's i like right it. yep and bring back safe stand or, or bring back or introduce safe standing as well i'd love stand yeah um, and the other the other the other half um what was the other half of the question who would you be most pleasantly surprised as a spurs fan that you know that you'd be like oh wow uh trying to think of female Spurs fans I did say I did put I did put a caveat in here say uh, for for Bill to say which Spurs fans fully clothed Bill would you be most pleasantly surprised to be seated next to Adam Richman I tell you what I'd I'd like I'd like to sit next to Adam Richman because I think I'd have a good I'd I'd, I'd enjoy sitting next to him and and what you could have a chat about bagels couldn't you we could have a chat about bagels yeah and and, and West Ham and um and Leeds (laughs) And other teams he supports. No, he supports Spurs. Now that's just rumours. Say, oh, I don't know. No, he's he's qualified it and said that you know he's got a grandfather from Leeds and he's got some affinity with West Ham, but he is a Spurs supporter. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what would happen if I if somebody. I mean, I I thought I thought about this question. I thought someone I heard recently on a podcast who I thought was fantastic, who's a Spurs fan, is uh, John Wardle, or known as Jar Wobble. The uh, the bass player from Peel and um, yeah and all that and I think he would be and he was fantastic and and very interesting character um, and that would be great um, and then I thought what happened if someone like Hoddle sat next to me I would just turn into this fourteen year old girl just sort of like I wouldn't watch the game at all I would just be I wouldn't be able to speak I would just be ridiculous so I thought maybe Maybe that would be a good person, but maybe that would be a bad person to sit next to because then you'd sort of, um, you know, lose your concentration and not be able to concentrate on the game. A bit like what I've heard in, in, in the Fighting Talk podcast, um, Fighting Talk show, when um, when Janola turned up and the male and female presenters on that, everybody, the whole panellist, everybody just went completely gooey. Um, I just, I don't know. He has this devastating effect on people, apparently, in person. Mm. But um, I thought the safe one, the best one, who I imagine having a great laugh with, will be uh, Paul Whitehouse. Yeah, good shout. Yeah. That will be. I recommend you would have a, the the best laugh. Yeah, there is that with with Hoddle or, or with X Pros. There's there's always that fear of you just. Um... You'd sort of be speechless and all a bit, you know. I think I could be normal with Mickey Hazard. He seems like a very yeah. normal. Bloke. I think I could be normal with him, and he will be. And he's a crack. Sounds like a cracking bloke when I've heard him interviewed, and he's so passionately Spurs. And um, but yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna go for for that. Did you did you get a who, who, did you get a person apart from Louise? Jenna, Louise Coleman. <laughs> uh, well, well, I we said Adam Richmond, but if we're talking about ex, oh, right. ex, ex-Spurs players, um, I had a soft, soft spot for Klinsman as a kid. Going cool. Up. Sorry? For who? For Klinsman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Um, I, I, the one of the people I respect most as a human being, um, probably my favourite, you know, as a, as a human being for Spurs is Gary Mabbott. Um you know, just like such a lovely bloke, and I, I would love to sit next to him. Now it's interesting you, you should say Gary Mabbott. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent. 
tangent here. Um, I've met Gary Mabbott. Um, a few years ago, I was in um, in um, in Johannesburg, and um, I was out on a company trip, and we were staying at a hotel. This was in July 2011, and Spurs were on pre-season um, that year. Um, and they had in, in, in Johannesburg, and actually not just Johannesburg. I think they had a few games. Um, Is that when we bought that player that that, that that played well against us and never played well again? I know, I, I know the one you mean, but I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to yeah. even attempt to. Um, possibly we had well, we had Pinar in in in, in the squad then, um, mm. and um, so anyway, Spurs were staying at the same hotel as us, uh, as as myself and my colleague, and um, I was just like a little kid. You can imagine, I was just really excited, and I got to meet um, Harry Redknapp and. Bale and Van der Vaart and, and, and all of that but the one person who was it was funny because all the all the first team players were quite just moody and didn't really want to be there and whatever all the ex-pros like Harry Redknapp and Clive Allen and Gary Mabbott were much more um, friendly and um, maybe because they were of a certain age and, and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> they're not at work, they're on a jolly, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> they sit, they're on a jolly and the other guys but, are being dragged to South Africa thinking, oh, I've got to play this game. Yeah, but Gary Mabbott was really, really nice. And, and I remember he was the first person I, I, I had my photo taken with and I, I just met him and I started, and I just told him that I was a big fan and particularly um, that team, 1991 himself and Gazza and Lineker. And that's, that was around about the time I started supporting Spurs. Anyway, mm. so he was really nice. I had my photo taken with him. The next morning, um, I'm in the gym working out, and who walks in? Gary Mabbott. And he said hello to me, um, oh. which was just, you know, he obviously, it wasn't like I'd taken my photo the day before and that's it. I was just one of, um, you know, lots of different faces. The fact that he sort of remembered and the next day he said hello and he was just so polite really stuck with me. Um, he's uh, a proper gentleman. Yeah. He's, he's got that lovely um, Joby-like accent as well. He does. You know, um, I, I taught in Bristol and um, the um, we used to have a, be in a partnership with schools. Um, so the kids all swapped for A-levels and stuff like this and went to whatever school. Uh, and one of the partnership schools was the one that he went to. He's from that area. Um, you know, so he's a famous sort of ex-boy from that area, and um, and everybody who's met him uh, universally, um, when it was a part of the Rovers thing and and all the rest of it, and they used to train, um, in the by the chocolate factory, um, in Canesham, um, says they met him. He's such a nice guy. You know, I've never heard anybody, you know, like with your Bruce Forsyth stories and your other people, you know, where Ronnie Corbett and stuff like this, where people have had witness tantrums and things like this i've never heard anybody say anything have any experience of an unpleasant incident with gary mother lovely man love really good biography by the way and amazing and a, boy, and, a, and a model you know a model professional i mean somebody who has to have two inje injections on a daily basis for his entire life um mm because he's, he's a diabetic uh, yeah. and, and to play football at the highest level, you know, it's, it's quite something. Because his brother was a footballer as well, Kevin. Yeah. Then he was his older brother. And then he then, uh, I think, uh, whatever, signed forms for Bristol. Um, and then was, and then all of a sudden, all his boyhood dreams coming true as a Bristol lad. And then he kept sort of, not collapsing, but find it really hard in training. And they took him away and did some tests. And they said, well, basically, you're a diabetic. 
and he sort of said, yeah, well, what does that mean? And they said, uh, well, that means you basically can't become a professional footballer, son. And so uh, in the book I read, he got a second opinion and a third opinion. And, a, and about the fifth person, they all said the same thing. And about the fifth person said, maybe. And he pioneered a way of measuring your blood sugar before the game at half time, and, um, you know, matching your insulin levels and etc. So he really pioneered that um, and, you know, we couldn't drink anything apart from champagne. So just as well, we were successful back then. Um, and um, yeah, and, and he was asked about this, you know, isn't it a hardship? Don't you find it difficult? And I think most afternoons he used to go around the hospitals, the children's hospitals and things, and because he became this person that people wrote to, um, you know, that the kids wrote to and that, that were sick. And he went around visiting all these children. And he said, I, 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 you know, sort of yesterday I was in a hospital with a lad who's eight who probably won't make it to 10. Um, the fact that I have to have an injection every day and have some restrictions on what I can drink and eat doesn't really stack up to someone whose life expectancy is they're not going to get to secondary school. Mm. So very level-headed, lovely bloke, I thought. Yeah. And, yeah, another example of, of, of somebody, we were talking about captains earlier, that that sort of person, we sort of leadership we could do with on the pitch, but also... Will you get players like that again? No, they're all, you know, flash motor at... And, and and twenty grand a week at eighteen, you're not going to get someone as humble as that. I think that, in his own way, from what I've seen so far, Harry Kane seems quite humble and down to earth. But mm. he's but he's not in the same league as as, as Gary Lambert. Yeah. I suppose different times we're, we're living in. Um, okay, last few questions. Brian Campbell asks, how many casts could a podcast cast if a podcast could cast pods? Uh, I don't know in which races I'm sure he cast no shadow but uh, I don't know you can come here but uh, I think uh, maybe someone like Bill can cast a shadow in a podcast but uh, he would probably argue with it so I don't know uh, I do not see it Um, I'm afraid I haven't got an answer I certainly don't have an answer as good as as that Um, uh, hopefully um, the next time we we, we do a podcast um, it will consist of a forecast of four um, rather than what we've ended up with today. Um, mm. That's another story. Is that a forecast? A forecast. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, okay. I say down the cost system. <laughs> final, final two questions. Right. Kent Goodrich. Um, we couldn't have a podcast without a question from Kent Goodrich. Kent asks, would you rather have sex with a clean, well-groomed, but very ugly person or a gorgeous but smelly and dirty person? Right, with my son in the room. Um, I'm going to say I, 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 I had a, a very an idea with this. What I would do is I would go for the gorgeous person, and I would run a bath, and then we would make love in the bath, and then in the shower, mm-hmm. and then move back into the bedroom. Okay. Um, assuming that's not an option, um, <laughs> then. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a stra- no, that's, what, that's what I'm going to do. That's my strategy. No, no, that, that's fair enough. But, but I'll, well, I'd, I'd, I'd accidentally, um, if maybe if we were somewhere like as I live on the coast and we were near the promenade, I might accidentally knock them into the sea, rescue them, <laughs> having given them a good salt washing, and uh, 
I don't know. I'm going to go for assuming, and that's fine, but I'll, I'll go with this, assuming that that person is just so smelly and dirty that you'd have to you'd have to pour a whole load of bleach over them and that still wouldn't wouldn't do it, then I'd go for the ugly person because, um, you know, they might have... At least they're clean and hygienic and, and, and uh, they, um, they, might and have, they, they might have... They might have they might have hidden talents, for all you know. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, go, I'd go with the ugly person. But it's all purely hypothetical because I obviously have my lovely missus, so purely hypothetical. I would turn both down. Indeed. Um... Final question, right? Aaron Wolf, I like this question. <laughs> Would you rather have Wayne Rooney's face, but your body, or Roy Hodgson's body, but your face? Yeah, I kind of, I thought about this in a Nicolas Cage sort of way, uh, and I thought, right, I would, you know, it's not far from perfect, but I'd rather have my body than Roy Hodgson's body. Um, and, yeah, I wouldn't be particularly happy with Rain Mooney's face, apart from it would probably um, open lots of doors for you. So I would probably, in a Nicolas Cage face-off sort of way, then, with all his money and everything, have my face then put back. But for the possibility of, of, of maybe swapping when I need to gain entry, VIP entry into somewhere, um, like, I don't know, Wembley or um, White Hart Lane or anything like that, more basically everywhere isn't it with a face with his face but yes there we go how's yeah, but, that for pop but, out but, but you see if you if you have his face then therefore you're going to have his mind as well um, no no it doesn't I, say that it's just his face it's my head it's my head my brain and then just his face on top so it's been transplanted so i would um, I'd, I'd, I'd have a face that you can peel off and put mine back on and then I had a Wayne Rooney mask that I could actually take off again. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Roy Hodgson's body, so it might not be all that bad. Um, so I'd rather have Roy Hodgson's body and my own face because at the very worst, if he's a bit saggy, you know, and a bit out of shape, you could always go go in the gym and work out and you could do something about that. I um, mean, if it was someone like, you know, what you call it, the ex-England manager, um, Capello. Yeah then that's fair enough. He was an ex-footballer and, you know, he was quite fit and all the rest of it. Uh, and, and obviously Ericsson must have had something about him. Yeah. Um, and it certainly wasn't his face. Well, he was um, hung like a horse, apparently. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, and, um, but Roy Hodgson has never been a footballer um, and kind of, you know, he, he barely looks like he can hang a suit out well. So, even though, you know, he's he's from Croydon and I, you know, admire a man from Croydon who's done well um, and speaks lots of languages. Um, yeah, if it was Roy Hodgson's brain, then maybe, but um, no. I mean, he, how old is he? Old. Yeah. He's, he's you know, something. I'm no spring chicken, but he's got, a, you know, he's, he's, he's got a lot older, saggier body than me, I'd imagine. And um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's just as well we don't know. We never agree on anything, do we? No, we, don't, we, don't, we don't indeed. Um, and on that note, um, thank you, Zach, um, for joining me this week. Thank you. Um, thank you, Kevin, for turning up um, for, for a little bit. Um, and uh, get well soon, Nikki. And hope oh, can I say one last thing? Apart from on, get well, Nikki, I just want to say um, in person how 
fantastic. And it, you know, it wasn't the elitist thing. This open invitation to from everyone on the podcast to turn up to the, the Leicester game. It was absolutely fantastically wonderful to meet all these people. Um, and I think I was talking with Javid earlier. We were talking earlier and said it was a bit like a blind date that you've arranged with multiple people. And so rather than just having one person you were surprised to see, people kept popping up. And um, so it was a marvellous thing. And it wasn't in any way elitist. You know, it was very welcoming. And um, if we do it again, and we hopefully will do it again, I would just say to anybody, um, don't worry about turning up um, because it is a family and everyone is welcoming. And it was fantastic. And I had a wonderful time. So thank you, everybody, for making my great day out. And as I, as I, 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 yeah, totally agree with that. And, I, and as, as I think I said this before um, to a few people last Saturday, um, if you're crap at doing some small talk, which I certainly am, um, then uh, the good, the nice thing about last week was um, when you when you have that awkward moment, that that moment of silence when you don't know what to say, um, you can just break the ice by I don't know mentioning Ryan Mason or or Stambouli or some somebody and that that's that's a, the beauty of, of of that particular event and the fact that we had so many people from different walks of life but with this one shared interest um yeah. I mean awkward moments then I don't think were that many awkward no. moments because it was silence and awkward moment either me or Jinxie would fill it with a load of babble <laughs> indeed no, there, there weren't any awkward moments um Sorry, Jinx. He's gotten a bit of a roasting for for talking a lot. I think from from Carol in particular, but um, yeah, yeah, he was a lovely bloke too. He was, he was indeed. Um, yeah, no, I I think that he's a lovely bloke. Sorry, <laughs> it, it was lovely to meet him. He is a lovely bloke. I think that with a very nice bathroom. <laughs> he's got a very nice bathroom. Yeah, I couldn't. Anyway, um, no, I, I think that that that. We should certainly look um, at doing more of those events. Um, and you know, if if you're not part of the Tottenham Hotspur um, family Facebook group, um, but you just happen to listen to the podcast, um, then do stay tuned because as and when um, we have more of those events and more of those get-togethers, um, you'll hear about it first um, on the, on the podcast. And you know, it, it's just a great way to meet people, um, make friends, um, strengthen existing friendships if you already happen to know some, some of the people through the group or through the podcast. And uh, yeah, I hope that hope there's there's a lot more of those events in, 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 the, in the future. And on that note... Um, bombshell. Sorry, on that bombshell even. Um, one Tottenham, one, one family, one life. Good night. Sorry, sorry.